0: Well guys, thanks for being here. I went and got to see Wonder Woman this week. This has been kind of a crazy week. Uh, I was in Phoenix on Wednesday and Thursday for a, uh, a funeral of a friend of mine. I mentioned it last week. That uh, was killed in a uh, in a plane crash. And uh, so uh, as, uh, as this week, it's, it's been kind of overwhelming, but I, I hadn't seen Wonder Woman yet. Maley had been bugging me to see Wonder Woman for a long time. She's like, Dad, we got to go see it. And you are speaking on it, and you have to see it. So I have to go with you. And, and so... Uh, so I took her on uh, 4th of July after we passed out all the water at the praise. matter of fact, at the pray. I, th- I believe we counted well over 700 bottles of water that we got to pass out and just get to a chance to connect with people in Rio Rancho. So that was a great opportunity. And, and while we were there, we went and saw Wonder Woman. I'm going to be very honest with you. When I went into it, I wasn't expecting much. Um, I'm a, I like superhero movies, I'm not a comic book reader, but I love watching comic book movies and the way they do CGI and all the things they do with it, and I wasn't expecting much out of Wonder Woman, I'll tell you what, it was a good movie, it was really good, as a matter of fact, and as I watched it, um, what we have talked about with, with most movies that we have talked about, every good story has a point that points towards the greatest story ever told. And that greatest story ever told is the gospel, and this movie is no different than that. And as you look at most superhero movies, most superhero movies, you have the good versus the evil. You have the the, the Savior who is overcoming the destruction of the world. You have all of these things, and, and really, Wonder Woman was that, plus a whole lot more. And if you haven't seen it yet, I promise I'm not going to, to ruin it for you, but when you do see it, or if you do see it, I hope you see some of the things that came out, because there's such points that that direct it towards the gospel it was it was really actually quite exciting there's a scene where uh the the whole thing is is that Ares, who's the god of war is like satan now there's a lot of greek mythology but but greek mythology gets stuff from the bible anyway so like i said all stories get that from the greatest story and as you look at it Ares is the one who's trying to take over the world there just happens to be this woman who was of a woman yet created by God, and in it, you, you look at this, and, and they, there's a scene that represents Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus is tempted in the desert before he goes into his ministry, before he goes and does his thing. Well, Aries is trying to tempt Diana, and, and say, look what we could have if we worked on this together, and it was just a clear parallel between the two, some other things I saw, there's, there's a time where she looks like she's been defeated. As a matter of fact, she's almost buried in the ground. And then, somehow or another, she resurrects. And as she goes up, maybe you saw it in the little clip of the video, she goes into the form of a cross. And I'm like, hey, how about that? For a little illusion towards the gospel and who Jesus is. And then at that point in time, uh, the, the fight ensues between her and Aries. And you see all these things really kind of just play themselves out. And, and, and as I was watching it, I was thinking, you know, Diana Prince, the Wonder Woman character, is, is a lot like Christ. And a go-getter, one who's going to go against the flow, one who's going to go against all the things. She sees injustice, so she takes it on. She sees suffering, so she takes it on. She sees all these things, and she stands up for what she believes. You know what I really liked about this movie? It wasn't like almost every other superhero movie where the person that was the even winning character, had all these inner demons they were fighting with. She didn't have any of that. She just went and she fought. And she did what she, she knew what she was created to do. And that was to defeat evil. And as I watched it, I started seeing some things. And you probably don't ever want to go to a movie that you know that I'm going to be speaking on. Because I always have to pull up my phone and I have to type in all the messages in the notes of, of the, the great quotes. I'm like, I'll forget that if I don't write it down. So everybody next to me is probably like, stop texting. I'm like, I'm not. It's for a sermon. Just, just bear with me. So, um, There's some quotes that I I jotted down. I said, these are ones that I think we can hold on to. And one of them is, uh, you saw it there at the very beginning of this video. It says, fighting doesn't make you a hero. Now, they cut it off in the video because the rest of it is what you fight for does. I thought, you know, that's something we could definitely hold on to. There's another scene where where Diana and Steve, who's Chris Pine's character, are talking and, and... there's a watch there, and she doesn't quite understand the concept of time. And, and he's explaining what this watch is. And as he's explaining it, she says, what, what is that for? And why do you carry it? And, and he says, because it tells time when to eat, when to sleep, when to wake up, and when to work. And Diana responds with this. You let that little thing tell you what to do? And you go, you know what? How often do we let that happen? How do we, often do we let time dictate who we are? There's another time. When they're getting ready to go into battle, and and like I said, Chris Pine's characters, he's ready to go, and some people are asking him why, and he says, well, i got to try. My father told me once, if you see something wrong happening in the world, you can either do nothing, or you can do something, and I already tried nothing. I said, you know what? That's something we can work on. There's another point in the movie where Steve realizes who Wonder Woman is, who Diana is, and he turns to her and says, hey, I can save today. You can save the world. And I thought to myself, you know, that's kind of where we are with Jesus. A lot of times we don't think we can save the world. Well, we can't. That's not our job. But we can do it today. We can do what God's called us to do today. All of these things kind of hit me, but the end monologue, I think, was one of the big ones. And this is Diana talking. She says, I used to want to save the world to end war and bring peace to mankind. But then, yeah, I'm typing all this uh, on, during the movie. I glimpsed the, of the darkness that lives within their light, and I learned that inside every one of them there will always be both. A choice each must make for themselves, something no hero will ever defeat. And now I know, and this is a line that really caught me, that only love can truly save the world. So I stay, I fight, and I give for the world I know that it can be. The final one is when Steve is wrapped up in the lasso of truth. And he doesn't want to answer, and it's causing him to answer. And the, Diana says this to him. What one does when faced with the truth is more difficult than you think. With each of those quotes, like I said, I, I, I looked at it and I heard it and I said, you know, what can we go into with this? How can we look at this? What have we been given? And I, I came up uh, as I was looking through passages, Matthew chapter 25. Where Jesus is talking about parables. Now before we got into the movie parables, we are doing the actual parables throughout, since, uh, since Easter. And we're going to do one of the parables that I skipped over today. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to open up to Matthew chapter 25. And in Matthew chapter 25, we're going to be in verse 14 to start. But last week at the park, I talked about living free. And I'm not sure if you were there or not, but I just talked about living free, and I talked about all the things that were going on and, and how it was really making me think. And, and I told you my friend that was killed in a plane accident, um, my aunt was was diagnosed with stage four brain cancer. Uh, uh, Lisa Huey, who's a, a part of our church, the, Bill and Lisa do all the coffee and everything like that. I had a chance to pray with her and her family last night, but uh, she goes in for surgery tomorrow to have a, a mass removed, and, and she's worried about it and nervous about it, and um, you know, all of these little things that are taking place. I see. you know, sometimes we get so caught up in, in life that we miss life. That, that we're, we're doing our routine and we miss life. And, and we've been given gifts by God. And, you know, we miss it because we're just caught up doing a regular routine. And, and uh, one of the things that I read not too long ago, it's a quote from Billy Graham. And somebody asked him, I said, what is the most surprising thing about life to you? You know what his answer was? It's brevity. It's brevity. He's 90-something years old, but yet he says it's brevity. How quickly it goes. How short it is. And, and what we can do in the, and that. And that got me to thinking about how our time is limited. And, and you know, I went back to that watch scene. And I began to think about that. Do we use our time or does time use us? Do we waste our time? Do we kill time? Do we let it go? Because we let that little thing tell us what to do. And I began to think about that in this area, and I began to think about how time is like money, and you can do three things with time. You can waste it, you can spend it, or you can invest it. You can waste it, you can spend it, or you can invest it. We have 86,400 seconds every day. What do we do with those? Where do we put it? Do we just waste it and let it go? Or are we just spending it? unwisely and letting it happen, or are we spending it wisely and investing it in things that actually matter, things that are bigger than us? See, as I look at the wasted spending investment, uh, I believe that Jesus taught us that the greatest use of our life is to invest it in something that will outlive us, that will outlast us, and that's where this Matthew chapter 25 comes in. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, please follow along. If not, it'll be up here on the screen. I'll be reading from the ESV version, starting in verse 14 of Matthew 25. It says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, another two, and another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been made faithful over, or you've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who received one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you'd be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have at least received what was my own with interest. So take that talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given more and he who have in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As I look at that, that is a heavy passage, but I see seven principles on how we should spend our time, how we should invest our time, how we should be looking for a return on our time, and these seven principles stand out throughout the passage. The first one I want you to see is this is ownership. Ownership. And as I say that, I want to ask you this question What is yours in this life? And the answer is nothing. Because everything is God's. Everything is his and he has given it to us to invest how we should invest. We didn't come into this world with anything. We will leave this world without anything. But in between, we've been given things to invest and that is for God. As a matter of fact, it says here in verse 14, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. It's all his This whole story is about stuff that is his. He is given that. So as we look at that, we need to come to the understanding that God owns everything. Ownership falls with him. The second principle I see with our time and how we spend it is this, allocation. Allocation. God has given me so many talents, and only a few that, that are for me and some for you, but he's allocated them to different people, not for my glory, but for his So as we see this, and as we see it play out, look what it says here in verse 50. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. The word talent that we use today actually comes from this passage, the talents that we have. But the passage actually here is talking about money. A talent is roughly a thousand dollars. So you have one guy who has $5,000. You have another guy who has $2,000. You have another guy who has $1,000. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go and invest it. I want you to go and make something out of what I've given you. We have talents. You have talents. Some of us have more talents than others. There's not a person out there that is a no-talent person. You may disagree with me on that. You may say you've never met my coworker, but the thing is, There is no such thing as a no-talent person. And so we look at that and we say, what has God given me? And you might think, well, what has God given me? Maybe you're thinking you're that no-talent person. But here's the thing. I wrote down some things that we've been given. Spiritual gifts, opportunities, skills, resources, abilities, children, jobs, money, time, life. So if you think you're a no-talent person, just your life is a talent in itself that can be invested in others. So as we see this, here's what we need to understand. As we look at the allocation, that maybe he gave some people five and some people two and some people one, we all have a purpose. And that purpose is to use what he's given us to glorify him, not to glorify ourselves. So we get kind of caught up in that with our time and our money and our efforts that we want to glorify ourselves with that. But he has made it for a purpose and that leads to the next step after the allocation you have accountability you have accountability god expects me to use them for his glory and he's going to ask me at one time in the future what did you do with what i gave you i mean you see it here in verse 19 now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them he made an investment he wanted a return he is invested in your life. He wants a return. You know what? None of us in this room had the choice to be born in America into a wealthy family, into a, you know, I say wealthy, you might think, well, my family wasn't that wealthy. When you go to a third world country, trust me, your family is wealthy. And when we look at that and we say, how do I take this? Well, let's steal a line from Spider-Man that came out this week. With great power comes great responsibility. We have been given great power in the gifts that we've been given, in the, in the, uh, and how are we going to use that? How are we going to be held accountable with that? See, the greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility, and we look at that, and you, you, you hear that, that phrase in the movie, if you see something wrong in the world, you can either choose to do nothing, or you can choose to do something. I've already tried nothing, so I need to do something. As a matter of fact, when I titled this message, and I was writing on a piece of paper, I just wrote on the top of it, do something i don't care what it is just do something because god has given us the ability to at least do something and a lot of times we say well i i can't because you know i don't have the, the right gifts god has given you the exact right gift for exactly what he wants you to do just do something and that leads us to the next one it's the utilization How are you using your talents? And as we look at this utilization, are we just burying our talents? God has given you something. What are you doing with it? Because a lot of us say, well, I can't do it. See, the first guy, he took his five and he doubled it. That's a wise investment. The second guy, he took his two and he doubled it. Wise investment. The story really isn't that much about them as much as it is about the last guy who did nothing. He didn't use what he was given. He didn't even attempt to put it towards a bank. He didn't attempt to do anything. All he did was bury it and sit on it. All God wants is for us to use it. He didn't say you have to make it huge. He didn't say you had to go to the extreme. He just doesn't want us to bury it and sit on it. He said at least invest it with the bankers. At least put a small investment in there so I can get some interest back on what I've given to you. And we see that and I say, you know, how often, even in verse 18, be he who had received the one talent, went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. It sounds cautious. It sounds conservative. It sounds like he's playing it safe because he didn't want to lose his master's money, right? I don't think that God, and maybe you can disagree with me on this or not. I don't know. I don't think God wants us to play it safe. I really don't. I think that if we play it safe, we're not taking any risk. And if we're not taking any risk, it doesn't take any faith. Doesn't God want us to live a life of faith? Doesn't it say in Romans 14, 23, whatsoever is not of faith is sin? Doesn't it say in Hebrews 11, 6 that we talked about at the beginning of this year, without faith it's impossible to please God? So if we're playing it safe and we don't have faith, how does that fit into those two verses? What does that look like? If everything is safe, I don't need faith. And I believe that doing nothing is inexcusable. And that's the reason why. He says, you wicked, slothful, or maybe in your version, you wicked, lazy servant. I mean, that's, a, that's a heavy load to take. Just because I sat on the money that you gave me, I mean, I gave it back to you the way it came, right? It might have been a little bit dirty. I couldn't washed it off, whatever it was. But I at least gave it back. He's like, you're wicked and you're lazy. That's why I think that God would rather have you try and blow it. They not do anything at all. I, I think I'd rather attempt to do something great and fail than attempt to do nothing and succeed. I hope you're the same way. I, I hope you have that same feeling. You know, four words that I think would be great on my to- tombstone: At least he tried. At least he tried. I may not be the most successful person out there. I may not have all the best answers. I may fail misery on some things, but at least I tried. I didn't sit back and I didn't play it safe because I believe that effort matters. Trying to make your life count, trying to make an impact with your life, trying to do something significant that is going to outlast you. I think those things matter. Now, does God want to see success? Absolutely. Will he bless your trying? Hopefully. But even you trying gives him that opportunity. If you're just sitting there doing nothing, he can't do anything with it. He can't take it to the next level. He can't say, look how you relied on me to see this thing happen. We have a term, and I've told you this before. Come as you are, be changed, and then go change the world. And that world, it's so big. So big and say, I-, I can't change the world. But you can change your world. You can change your world today. And I go back to that idea where he says, I'll save today, you save the world, talking to this Christ-like figure. And that's what we need to tell Jesus. I'll do everything I can to do what I need to do today. It's your job to take it, to save the world, to continue to spread it, to continue to use it. And you know, I see I see dull Christians all the time, boring Christians that have no joy. And I just think to myself, how in the world could you have no joy when you have the greatest source of joy in your life every day? And it's because Christianity becomes a routine. Christianity becomes something that we just do. Christianity is just our Sunday thing that we have that, that helps us meet people or whatever it might be. We've got to take that next step. We've got to to push ourselves to say, I want to grow in Christ, and I have to be available to let him grow in me. I can't be turning Him off. You know, this funeral that I went to, the, the funeral was two hours long, and most of the time when you hear those words, you're like, ah. It was exciting. It was exciting to hear the way John. John is a month older than me. I mean, he was born on December 24th, 1975. I was January 25th, 1976, one month. And it's tough to sit there in a funeral and you're going, okay, somebody that's my age is no longer with us. That's a, that's a difficult thing to swallow. But as I heard his story and as I saw the way that he affected his kids, and he worked for the city of Buckeye, which is a, a suburb of, of Phoenix there, the, the whole city works department came because of the way that he affected their lives. And they got up there and they, they all said the same thing. John was a friend to everyone as a matter of fact one of my favorite quotes during the whole sermon was if you weren't a friend of John's it wasn't John's fault (laughs) and I and and I thought you know I want that said about me I want people to go you know what he was friendly he loved people he and I I got to thinking you know obviously those are things you start thinking about and and this is an auditorium of of about 1400 seats and I'd say it was 85 90 percent full and as you look and you say, these are the people that he impacted. These are the people that care about him and his family. And, and how awesome is that? How awesome is it for him to be standing in front of Jesus right now and he's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want. Not you wicked, lazy servant. I gave you the ability to be friendly. I gave you the ability just to love people. That's all I asked. That's the smallest thing you can do. And you failed. You didn't do it because you just sat on it. And he's like, don't sit on it. Don't be the one that's sitting on the sideline. Don't be the one that is sitting there with, with all this negative stuff. And that moves me to my next one. You know, motivation. What motivates us to A, move forward, or B, sit on it? And I think that motivation for us to sit on it comes from fear. Satan's favorite tactic. Us being afraid worried about what somebody else might say, worried about what somebody else might do, worried about how we're going to, to it's going to look on us. And we, we have three things, I think, that really play into that fear. And the first one I have is this, is self-doubt. Self-doubt. I could never do that. I'm not qualified. It's fear of failure. I, I can't go invest in that. It's going to be a problem. But the crazy thing is, is that, you know, it says, I was afraid and I went out and I hid your talent. I was afraid and I, and I buried it in the ground. That was his whole premise in life. That was his whole everything. He was afraid. The second one was self-pity. I failed too many times. I can't go out there and do it again. I can't be a success. And the funny thing is I look at two characters, two people who followed Jesus, who were right in the footsteps of Jesus. You have Judas and you have Peter. Both of them failed Jesus. Both of them did. Judas, when he denied Jesus, he did what? He gave up and he hanged himself. And when he gave up and he hanged himself, it was all over. Peter, on the other hand, failed Jesus. Yet 50 days later, Jesus comes to him and says, I want you to be the beginning of my church. And just a few days after that, 30,000 people were added to the church because Peter was preaching. Not because Peter was awesome, but because he was willing to be used and the Holy Spirit went through him and did it. Both failed. Both had different results. We can't wallow in self-pity. The third thing I've written down here is self-consciousness. Self-consciousness. What will people think? What will, what will people, if I give my life completely to God, people are going to think that I'm crazy. Well, you know what? You are crazy. Who cares what people think about it, though? And we have to take those steps into there say, you know, the fear of man brings a snare. Proverbs talks about that in, in twenty nine twenty five. The fear of man brings us near being afraid of what other people are going to think. It's going to, it's going to hold us back. It's going to keep us from being who God wants us to be. You know, can I, can I encourage you with these words? If it's worth doing, do it. And, and yeah, there's, there's so many people that will add well to the end of that. But I'm even okay with the fact that you don't do it well. Just do it. Because if we get self-conscious and say, well, I can't do it well. You know what? I'm going to be very honest. It was funny. I was sitting there at that funeral, and I've known those people that were most of them that were there for 25 to 30 years, which makes me older than I want to say out loud. And, and as I thought about it, I went to that church when I started my freshman year of high school, and that's when I met John. And, and we went all the way through high school and college and even ministry starting off together. Now, let me tell you something about when I first started ministry. I rode out with a guy who was also part of our youth group. He lives up in Aztec, and he rode out with me. And he actually started laughing. He goes, can you believe where you're at now? He goes, because I remember when you were a junior high intern. He goes, you weren't very good. He goes, I was actually mad you got the job that you got, because I went right from being an intern into being a junior high pastor, working with the seventh and eighth graders. And I wasn't very good. I know that. I'm still not that good. But the thing is, as I've continued to get better, but if I would have said back then, well, I'm not very good. I'm just not going to do it. This church wouldn't be here. But God is who God is, and he will use us as long as we don't make the excuses, if we're willing to be used. So if it's worth doing, then do it. And if you can do it well, great. And if you can't do it well, at least try. Give it the old gipper try, you know, that uh, whatever you call that with uh, Ronald Reagan. Fear causes me to make excuses, to do nothing. Verse 24 he said he also received the one talent, came forth saying, Master, I knew you'd be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. This guy actually prepared a speech. The other guys just did what they were told to do. This guy prepared a speech and he says, God, well, and you know who he blames? The master. He blames the master. Well, I know you gave it to me, but I knew that you were kind of a hard guy and you're not, you know, so I didn't want to upset. It's all right there. He blames his master and he passes it on. I think the next thing we need to get in this point is this is application. See, if I don't use it, I lose it. If I don't use it, I lose it. Because it says the masters took the talent from him, gave it to one of the others that had ten talents. Doesn't seem fair, does it? The rich get richer, poor get poorer, kind of mentality that's in our head. It doesn't seem fair, but it is. Because it's the principle in life, is it not? How many of you guys Work out at the gym. Don't need any raised hands to embarrass anybody else. But how many of you guys work out at the gym and then take like two, three weeks off or longer, and then you decide to go back to the gym? Are you as strong as you were when you left that gym? No. No, you, you're feeling quite pathetic, and you almost want to quit. And it's because if you're not using those muscles that you're working out at the gym, whatever you're doing, you are going to lose it. If you do not use your brain you're going to lose it. If you're not reading, if you're not continuing to grow and that kind of stuff, you're going to go backwards. You're going to regress. How do we work on that in our spiritual life though? How do we do that? Well, we need to use it. You've been given a gift by God. You've been given gifts by God. Use them for his glory. Apply them. Take them out there and watch him multiply them. Watch him do it. Give him what you have. It goes back to that whole five loaves, two fish thing. Wasn't much, but it was all the boy had, and he multiplied it and he fed everyone. Give what you have to God and let him do his thing. The seventh thing is this compensation. Compensation. And this isn't why we do it, but look at the reward that comes down from it all. It says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in the, into the joy of your master. And he says that to both the five and the two. God promises three rewards. One, affirmation. The word's well done. That's good enough. To hear God say well done, he didn't have to say anything to me. He created me. But for him to say well done, good job, Matt. You tried. You, you, you used what you were given for your Lord not for yourself thought about this last night sitting there and I was looking at my uh I have two labs a lab is a Labrador retriever they're actually built with webbed feet to swim after ducks and such can I tell you something about my labs one they don't like water two they don't retrieve anything and three, they don't even like banging noises. They've been in our house for the last week and a half because a bang outside scares the bejesus out of them. And so I look at that and I say, those dogs are worthless for what they are created for. Okay, let's just be really honest. If I went out hunting with them and I pulled the trigger on that duck and it went down and my dog ran that way because he was scared of the bang, that's not going to do me any good. And I got to thinking about that. I still love them the same, but they sure aren't doing what they are created for. And I look at that in my own life. I want God to say, well done, and do what I was created for. And Phil, and, and I know he still loves me the same, but he wants me to do what I was created for. So affirmation is the first one. Second one is promotion. He says, I'm going to give you a greater responsibility. I'm going to take you to that next level. See, God can't trust many of us with a great blessing because he hasn't been able to trust us with the little things. He, we haven't been faithful with the little things. He wants to give us more. He wants to use us more, but we haven't been faithful with the little things. Celebration is the last thing. Enter into the kingdom of God. I'm sorry, enter into the joy of your master. The one thing I've, I've had the opportunity to do is uh, work with couples that are married, that are struggling in their marriage. And one thing I seem to hear a lot is, with the struggles is, well, I think God just wants me to be happy. And I just want to reach across the table and slap them. Okay, I'm going to be very honest with you. So if you tell me that in a marriage counseling, just realize that's coming. Um, <laughs> but um, the, the reality is, if, if you want to be happy, Do what God has called you to do. Because the happiest people I know are involved in the service where God has them. What are we doing? That's where the joy comes from, is being in the service of our master. Here's my challenge to you today. Start investing your life today. I don't know what you've done up to this point. But today is a day to start investing your life to stop wasting time, to stop just spending it frivolously, but to invest it in something. See, the wisest investment I believe you can make is say, God, here's the rest of my life. Do what you want to do with it. Do what you want to do with it. I'm done playing around, done just goofing off. I want you to use my life for your glory. I want to get off of the sidelines and into the game because when we're in the game, that's where we're stretched. That's where we're pushed. On the sideline just saying, go team, isn't a terrible thing. It's just not what we've been created for. So how do we start investing our life? Well, here's what I'd say. First, find yourself a church family. And you're looking around going like, well, hope that's what I'm doing right here, right now. And I hope that's what you're doing right here, right now too. But here's the thing about a family. Families work together. Families work together. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know I'm sure if I should say this out loud or not, but I'm going to. Um, we all know the mooch in the family. We all know the one that shows up to the activity to get and not to give whatever that be thanksgiving or whatever it might be or they're they're low on money so they need to come and they only come at those times that's not being a part of the family being a part of the family is one who gives i would challenge you to find a place in this church and if you can't find it in this church find it in another church where you can get plugged in and you can be used for god's glory you can use the gifts that you were given second thing is to start growing Be maturing. Be developing. Be in your word. Read. Challenge yourself. Get growing with Christ. Get into a group, a connection group, a small group, a group of just a few friends that want to read and and challenge each other. Get plugged in. I can't think of a greater thing to do than these two things. As you continue to grow in your life and you continue to do this, and you get to stand before God and say, here's what I was able to do. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Instead of saying, hey, I know what you gave me, but I buried it. You might be thinking, I I don't have anything, Matt. There's no way I can do this. Can I just tell you to start with one thing? It goes back to that quote. It goes back to that quote that said, I know that only love can truly save the world. One gift you have been given, without a doubt, is the love of Jesus Christ. Share that with somebody else. Take that to somebody else. Share it with your neighbor who is hurting. Share that with your friends who are hurting. Share that with people that are there. We can take Christ and invest wherever we go. I'm going to end up with this quote right here. Because this, I pray, is truth. And as it lays out there before you, what one does when faced with the truth is more difficult. It is more difficult than you think. What are you going to do with this truth? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the life you've given us. And thank you for the opportunity to serve you. Thank you for the opportunity to work alongside of you to see this world change. You, You didn't have to. You didn't even need us. But, God, you've given us the opportunity to be there. You've given us a purpose in our lives, and it's not about us. It's about you. It's about your glory. It's about lifting you up. It's about seeing your name spread across this nation and across this world. Some of us, God, are just sitting there. God, I pray you're challenging them right now, even if it's a small challenge, just to love people, just to share the love of Christ through action and word. May that be where it starts. But others, you've given these great gifts, the ability to teach, the ability to to love kids, the ability to, to clean toilets. I don't know what it is, God, but you've given every single person in this room gifts. Help us not to sit on it. Help us to use it to serve our family and then also to serve those that are outside. Help us to to be ones who let people know who Jesus is and what he's done for me and what he's done for them and how it could change their lives. God, it's a time where we come to the truth. We have a decision to make. Do we invest the rest of our life in you or do we continue going on the way we're going? It's only a decision Within each individual person's heart. I pray you're working on that heart and beginning to change them, to point them in the direction where they should go. I pray it in your name.